It's the Tennessee Star Report with Michael Patrick Leahy. Call and be heard. 615-737-9522 or 1-800-688-9522. 800-688-WLAC. Now, here's Michael Patrick Leahy. Good morning, Nashville. 6.06 a.m. Broadcasting live from our studios on Music Row in Nashville, Tennessee. It's Thursday. June 24th, 2021. What are we? The third day of summer now. And uh, almost halfway through 2021. Boy, time is moving fast. We have a great program for you today at 6.15. Roger Stone. Yes, that guy. Roger Stone. Conservative political consultant for many years. Uh, got into all sorts of legal troubles. Got pardoned and uh, he's, he's, uh, he'll be here with us. At 6.45, Congressman Mark Green will talk about his new legislation. At 7.15, Cliff Nichols will talk about his declaration of, uh, uh, of liberty, which is very interesting, getting a lot of attention. Yeah, if all goes well, asterisk, we haven't totally confirmed this. I think we're going to have Roger Simon in studio at 7 o'clock today, the editor-at-large for Epic Times. A couple things to bring to your attention. Um, we... The Tennessee Star and our reporters and photographer are going up to the uh, rally uh, that President Trump is holding, former President Trump's holding, in Ohio. We'll be there on Saturday. It's a big effort to get there, but we're going to be there. We just might have somebody up there that we would interview. We just might have that. Stay tuned, and you'll have to watch uh, the Tennessee Star uh, for we'll probably if we get that interview, we'll see it on Sunday. But you know, stay tuned to that. The other thing too is that we'll get to. We have an exclusive story in Georgia at the Georgia Star News. Sixty-eight percent of missing transfer forms in Fulton County that showed up have no timestamp of receipt, meaning they have no critical. There's no uh, 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 chain of custody for them. Um, Eighteen thousand nine hundred absentee ballots. About two-thirds of them now, no chain of custody. Hmm, the documents showed up, but they don't prove chain of custody. So there's that. We have an interesting report. I want to talk to you about this. It's very interesting. I'm going to read it. It's our own Corinne Murdoch, who uh, uh, writes for all of our titles, uh, based in here in Tennessee, Hillsdale grad, ace reporter. She helped us launch. She, she's out there helping us launch the Arizona Sun-Times on the web at theairzonasuntimes.com. But we have that story also at the Tennessee Star. Uh, it's a fascinating story. I encourage you to read it. Uh, I'm going to read it right now. It's it's a, the headline, A Recap in the Last Days of the Arizona Audit, Mainstream Media Meddling, and Blue Pen Gen. <laughs> Phoenix, Arizona. The most eventful aspect of the Arizona audit appears to have had nothing to do with the audit itself. Rather... It was antics from the mainstream media who came to cover it. Officials recounted to the Arizona Sun-Times one incident in which several reporters left their designated seating, returned to the entryway, propped open the doors, and took pictures. Later, those reporters published stories <laughs> claiming that the doors were left wide open during the audit. <laughs> oh, that's a classic. After that, the Sun-Times was told officials had to direct some of the Arizona Guard serving as security to escort media and ensure, ensure they didn't roam freely. 
One reporter in particular came to be known by workers as Blue Pen Jen. That nickname quickly became synonymous with media members hostile to the ongoing audit and its officials. Blue Pen Jen was Jen Fifield of the Arizona Republic, who signed up as a volunteer observer when the audit first began because media wasn't granted access immediately. The Sun-Times was told that Fifield only disrupted the training by attempting to interview other workers and officials. <laughs> ah. At one point during that first day of training, Fifield took note of the blue pens used. During her break, she would post updates on the audit. She alluded in one tweet that some volunteers could use the blue pens to mark the ballots being audited. Quote, I noticed the counters had blue pens. Supposedly, supposed to only have red when you're around ballots since ballots can read black and blue ink. Those blue pens the counters have, have could potentially be used to mark the ballots. I pointed this out to Doug Logan with Cyber Ninjas, wrote Fifield. Quote, Doug is running this audit. He told me that his understanding was the blue ink was fine, that the ballots only read black ink. Then he came back and said, actually, it seems I am correct, but he still seemed unsure. He said that we would work on this. Only later that afternoon, hours after the tweet went viral, did Fitfield publish an update that officials switched out the pens to the green and red pens long before the actual real ballots were on the floor. Officials confirmed to the Sun-Times that it was made clear that blue pens were for training purposes only and that none of the real ballots were taken out from the locked cages. Okay, well, twisting. Randy Pullen, a former chairman of Arizona's GOP, serving as volunteer consultant to the Arizona Senate, sat down in an interview at the audit site with the Sun-Times to discuss their months of work. He shared they would likely be finished by Saturday. Pullen said they averaged over 125,000 ballots a day at this point. Pullen shared that it's taken their workers a while due to inconsistencies in the ballot batches. Hey, if all goes well, when we get back, Roger Stone will be our guest on the Newsmaker Line. This is the Tennessee Star Report. I'm Michael Patrick Layton. Back after this. Welcome back to the Tennessee Star Report with your host, Michael Patrick Leahy. And welcome back to the Tennessee Star Report. It is 6.18 a.m. We are joined on our newspaper line by Roger Stone. Roger, perhaps the most colorful uh, political consultant in modern American history. Roger, welcome to the Tennessee Star Report. Delighted to be back with you. Well, how are you doing? But by the way, first, you've had this crazy couple of years. Uh, you were convicted of seven felony counts uh, having to do with, it seemed made up to me, of witness tampering, et cetera, in connection to the uh, Mueller special counsel investigation. Then you were your sentence was commuted and pardoned by the president. Uh, and then uh, uh, you've had a, a very fascinating couple of years. How are you doing physically? And mentally. Well, look, I, I'm doing fine. Uh, it's kind of ironic that on election night, November 3rd, 2020, Robert Mueller was forced by court order to release the last remaining unredacted section of his report, which had been withheld from me at trial, admitting that they had never found any evidence whatsoever against me regarding Russian collusion, WikiLeaks collaboration, 
John Podesta's emails or any other illegal act. So, in other words, I was framed. Well, that's that was my sense of it all along, Roger. There's a story in Newsweek I want to get your reaction to, published just a couple days. As federal authorities probe into Roger Stone, an ally of former President Donald Trump and a recipient of his presidential pardon, over possible involvement in the deadly January 6th riots at the Capitol, footage of Stone galvanizing Trump supporters to the incident may offer some clues. And according to Harry Littman... Harry Littman, former U.S. Attorney and Deputy Assistant General, the Department of Justice is currently investigating Stone's role in the attack. Um, what do you say about that? Uh, well, first of all, it's a total recycle. The video in question, which, by the way, proves absolutely nothing, other than the fact that a lot of people love Roger Stone and I love them. A lot of patriots coming up to me and saying, hello. A gentleman says to me, how are we going to do today? And I say... We shall see. Now, there was a legislative proceeding that day, and the world was hanging on the outcome. So this video proves nothing. By the way, Newsweek is not the Newsweek we remember as a news magazine decades ago. They went out of business and sold their logo and trademark to the Daily Beast. So this is recycled garbage. It is categorically false. I know nothing whatsoever about the illegal acts of January 6th, though. I wasn't involved. I didn't know about it in advance. I learned about it when every American did. But this is the kind of smear I've had to put up with since the president pardoned me and, and frankly, before. It's kind of driven by the bloodlust of the far left who can't get over the fact that I'm not already in prison or dying in prison of COVID-19. Well, isn't that what they want? Yeah, I think so. I think it has to do with beating them in multiple elections. It also has a lot to do with the fact that Special counsel Robert Mueller pressured me relentlessly to bear false witness against the president. He wanted me to lie. They were willing to, quote, go easy on me if I would just tell them what they wanted to hear. And uh, I didn't do that. Through the grace of God, the president had the courage and the strength to give me an unconditional pardon. And the hard left in America just can't get over it. What what is on your agenda for the next uh, 12 months, Roger? What are you doing? What are your what are your priorities? Well, let me tell you the bad news and the good. Um, my wife of 30 years was diagnosed with stage four uh, lymphoma. That's cancer, which has spread to her lungs. And she's putting up a spirited uh, battle against it, both spiritually and medically. So that's my first priority. Uh, folks who want to help us, by the way, since... After Mueller, we lost all of our health insurance, uh, most of our health insurance, I should say, uh, but all of our worldly possessions. They First, they break you, then they squeeze you. You can go to stonefamilyfund.com if you want to help us. St stones, plural, stonesfamilyfund.com, is that it? No, stone, the word stone, like Roger Stone. Okay. Stonefamilyfund.com. Okay, let me repeat uh, that. Stone familyfund.com stonefamilyfund.com and people can, can can make contributions there. Yeah, absolutely because even these alternative and holistic cancer treatments are extraordinarily expensive. And then I'm writing another book. I've written five. I'm a New York Times best-selling author, author and uh, my next book is entitled Roger Stone Did Nothing Wrong. My Political Persecution and the Loss of the 2020 Election. So I'm trying to get that done by September and out the door. You know, truth is the antidote to liberal lies. 
And I want to get this story on the record because, as you know, I was gagged unconstitutionally before and during my trial and even after my trial. I was not allowed to defend myself in any public forum. In fact, I wasn't allowed to say anything. If I, if I went to Nashville and had the best barbecued ribs in my life and I posted that online, I would have been arrested immediately under her decree. Roger, who is your publisher? Uh, I have always been published by Skyhorse, uh, and I will probably do this book with them again. Uh, my very first book, The Man Who Killed Kennedy, The Case Against LBJ, was a Skyhorse book. It's a New York Times bestseller. I could go elsewhere. You know, once you've written a couple books, you have a little more latitude. But uh, I've had a pretty good relationship with this particular house. Well, good, good. Look, we're, we certainly wish your your wife the very, very best. What's your daily life like now? I mean, what do you are you living in Florida? Are you what's your routine? We live in Florida, which is I think where freedom is going to have its last stand. It's amazing that Sean Hannity, Mark Levin, Tucker Carlson, I think Alex Jones very shortly have all either moved here or are in the process of moving here. We have a great governor, DeSantis, strong supporter of the Second Amendment, strong, very strong on the COVID-19 lockdown nonsense, uh, election law reform, Internet censorship. He's he's been a true conservative leader. Uh, My daily uh, my daily experiences waking up in the morning, making breakfast for my wife. Uh, Then I try to put in, you know, at least four hours a day on my book. I have to record two 10-minute segments of a 20-minute show called Get Stoned, Your Daily Fix on Politics, which appears at StoneColdTruth.com beginning July 1st. You will be on multiple multiple platforms as well. Uh, that's more than enough to keep me busy. And, of course, um, I say the rosary every day. Do you do, are you still doing your weightlifting? I get to the gym three times a week now. Um, I was going every day. But now with my wife's situation, it's just a, it's a time uh, it's a time question. I had to take her to the University of Miami to consult a new doctor yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're, we're very hopeful she can beat this cancer. It's a it's a it's a spiritual battle. It's a, it has a lot to do with attitude uh, and and your determination. But she's hanging in there, and I guess this is a great place to thank the many 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 people in Tennessee. Who are praying for us? Uh, the, the public outpouring of support has really been heartening. So, uh, in terms of your 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 wife, uh, her her situation, and her health issues, um, you say her attitude is good, uh, that, but there must be some days that are a little bit rough, huh? Well, we've been through a, a tumultuous two years. I mean, we have been hunted, vilified, smeared, gagged, deplatformed. Uh, framed, uh, gagged, which is the worst, not even allowed to defend yourself, and bankrupted. I mean, I I literally own nothing at this point. We lost our home, uh, my car, uh, our savings, most of our insurance. So, um, you know, we're in a rebuilding phase. I really, this happened very suddenly. My wife was just diagnosed less than two weeks ago, uh, and we're still sorting out the proper course of treatment for her. I'm a great believer in, in holistic and homeopathic medicine, also in Eastern medicine. I've been getting treated prophylactically with acupuncture for, you know, 40 years. and 
I'm still in pretty good health. I'm almost 70, although I know I know I look only 45. You only look 45. Roger Stone, the website uh, to help out is stonefamilyfund.com, stonefamilyfund.com. Roger, we wish you and your wife the very best of luck. God bless you, and thanks for having me on this morning. I really appreciate it. We're, we're glad to have you on, Roger. Good luck to you. Anyways, that's uh, Roger Stone. We wish him the best of luck. Stonefamilyfund.com, stonefamilyfund.com. When we come back, we'll have more with the Tennessee Star Report. I'm Michael Patrick Leahy. Welcome back to the Tennessee Star Report with your host, Michael Patrick Leahy. 6.33 a.m. broadcasting live from our studios on Music Row in Nashville, Tennessee. This is the Tennessee Star Report. I'm Michael Patrick Leahy. You can learn more about me on my website, michaelpatrickleahy.com. You can contact me on Twitter, Michael P. Leahy. And then, of course, read the stories of the day at Tennessee Star, tennesseestar.com. Uh, at 6.45, Congressman Mark Green will join us to talk about his new bill that's going to stop, designed to stop the kind of uh, illegal immigrant uh, sudden dumping in Tennessee and some potential abuses that are going on there. Uh, we'll learn more details with him at 6.45. Right now, there's an interesting story, our lead story at the Tennessee Star by Chris Butler. Headline, Congress must restore Hyde Amendment. Tennessee Attorney General Herb Slattery says. Here's the story. Tennessee Attorney General Herb Herbert H. Slattery III. I didn't know it was Herbert H. Slattery III. We usually call him Herb Slattery. Uh, and 21 other state attorneys general urged Congress to maintain the Hyde Amendment in the 2022 budget. By the way, Scooter, did you know our grammar lesson for the day? The plural of attorney general is attorneys general. Our writer. Our, I did know that. You did know that. I did know that. Because you've been reading lots of stories about politics over the years, right? Yes. I mean, you might, people might think it's attorney generals. No. Attorneys general. Our guy got it right. Um, so, so Slattery and 21 other state attorneys general urged Congress to maintain the Hyde Amendment in the 2022 budget. So the 2022 budget is what they're working on right now. And the federal budget, the fiscal year, uh, ends on September 30th. So we're in the fiscal year 2021 budget. That's going to end on September 3rd, 30th. The, the fiscal year 2022 budget begins on October 1st. Here's the rest of the story. The Hyde Amendment prohibits the use of federal funds for abortions. That's it. Named after former, uh, longtime former Republican congressman from Illinois, Henry Hyde. Uh, members of the Biden administration removed the amendment despite its inclusion in federal budgets for the last 45 years. I don't know how they can legally remove it because it's, in, it's, in, it's part of the law. It is a statute. That uh, would be violated in the budget uh, if it's removed. This, according to a press release that uh, Attorney General Slattery and members of his staff emailed this week. In a letter, the attorneys general called on Congress 
to resist the president's efforts to force taxpayers who object to abortions to pay for them. The Hyde Amendment has been an area of common ground in the fight over abortion, Slattery said in the press release. Prohibiting the federal funding of most abortions is what both Democrats and Republicans have supported for decades and should not be changed. Well, I agree with that. By the way, you can weigh in if you'd like to on this issue. Our number is 615-737-9522, 615-737-9522. In their letter, the attorneys general said many taxpayers object to funding abortion on moral or religious grounds, and to force them to do so is unconscionable. Congress should resist following President Biden down this path and should instead maintain the Hyde Amendment language in the budget it ultimately passes, according to the letter. Fighting for the freedom of conscience has been a hallmark of state attorneys general. We have a unique interest in the Hyde Amendment as an important protection for the consciences of the millions of Americans who oppose public funding of abortion. President Joe Biden, the letter went on to say, explained his abrupt reversal on the Hyde Amendment by stating that he could not, quote, justify leaving millions of women without access to the care they need and the ability to exercise their constitutionally protected right. Apparently, the, uh, the, the, the Constitution that Joe Biden reads has apparently a new amendment, <laughs> a, right, a right to abortions by uh, women to have abortions. Of course, the amendment they're forgetting about is the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms. Uh, but continuing, the Attorney Gen- General's letter said, the Attorney's General letter said, but even if one accepts the notion that a woman has a constitutional right to an abortion, the Supreme Court has made clear that the right is not a taxpayer-backed guarantee. The, le- the leader on this actually was not our Attorney General, Herb Slattery, which is sort of the pattern. I don't think... Our attorney general has been the leader of anything uh, in terms of any of these attorneys general letters. Uh, It was Alabama attorney general Steve Marshall, and it was signed by attorneys general from Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, Florida. Well, basically a bunch of red states, including Tennessee. Now, here is a question that I have for all of the constitutional lawyers out there. If it's true, as I believe it to be so, the Hyde Amendment is a statute. Uh, and, and if the budget violates that statute, would the entire budget be rejected? Uh, do, do you anticipate court challenges to this? I think there probably will be court challenges to this, and there should be, in my view. The other thing to say uh, on this is, you know, the courts, I, I will go back to this, and, and I don't, we don't necessarily need to re-litigate it. But I think it's very obvious to anyone who's honest about it, the Roe v. Wade decision when it was announced was basically a political, not legal decision. There was really not, they created a precedent on it, but there was, there was, it, this was a political argument. The majority opinion was written by the Harry Blackman. It was probably the only thing of note that he did in his career. He was a very, you know, uh, non-extraordinary justice. 
But he wrote that opinion. It's probably one of the most convoluted opinions of any Supreme Court opinion, and it's clearly a political, not legal opinion. Now, having said that, it has become precedent for many, many years. I don't, I don't see any effort or any uh, case out there uh, that would overturn it. I don't think there's a big desire uh, for that uh, out there anywhere because people, it's a very, you know, it's a, it's a tough question, I, I, I would guess. But, of course, a lot of people in our audience know a lot more about, about uh, Roe v. Wade than I do, but I'm just giving you sort of my view on that particular issue. So we'll see how that all plays out. Um, what I tell you I think is going to happen, I think uh, the Biden administration is going to, here's what I think will happen. The Biden administration is going to ignore this, and they will introduce a budget uh, that does not include the Hyde Amendment, prohibiting federal funding of abortions. Then there will be lawsuits, uh, and the lawsuits challenging the budget on this very issue. And those budgets, you know, some uh, district courts, some appeals courts will go one way, some the other. It'll end up in two years or three years at the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court will rule against the Biden administration. That's my guess, but it'll take a long time. So uh, there's that. A couple other things to bring to your attention around the country. In Louisiana, Louisiana, as you know, is a conservative state, but it has a Democrat governor, this guy, John Bell Edwards, who was reelected actually this past year, reelected because he had some a weak Republican opponent. But uh, he's made some news. He's vetoed a bill banning biological males from women's sports. This is by Mary Margaret Olihan. It's, it's at the Tennessee Star. We have republished this from the Daily Caller News Foundation. Democrat Louisiana Governor John Bill Edwards vetoed a bill Tuesday that would have banned biological males from women's sports. Quote, as I have said repeatedly when asked about this bill, discrimination is not a Louisiana value, and this bill was a solution in search of a problem that simply does not exist in Louisiana. I don't know about that. Yeah, I think if you're a girl and you're playing sports in Louisiana or Tennessee and some transgender guy comes in and wants to run the 100-yard dash against you, I think that's a problem. We'll have more when we get back. If all goes well, Congressman Mark Green will join us to talk about his new bill. This is the Tennessee Star Report. I'm Michael Patrick Leahy. Welcome back to the Tennessee Star Report with your host, Michael Patrick Leahy. 6.49 a.m. On our newsmaker line, our good friend, Congressman Mark Green from Tennessee. My congressman does a great job, by the way. Good morning, Congressman Green. Hey, sir. How are you? Good to be on your show. Well, uh, we're delighted to have you on, and we would want to have you in studio someday soon. Uh, you're introducing a new bill, apparently, or have, to address the issue of migrant children being brought to Tennessee. Tell us about that. Yeah. So, you know, we found out that with this incredible border crisis, um, you know, the open door, the open border that uh, Joe Biden and 
Kamala Harris have created, um, it's, it's resulted in a lot of children showing up at our doorsteps. And what's happened, the federal government and its, um, you know, clandestine methodologies uh, decided they'd just fly these folks to Tennessee without letting Tennessee know. In fact, they asked Governor Lee, and Governor Lee said no, but they sent them anyway in the dead of the night. And, you know, the problem is the incentives that have been created, we have to shut the incentives down. So what we're basically saying is that the federal government has to ask the governor for permission. The governor has to give permission. But one of the things we're doing to make sure that the children are still taken care of, we're moving them from the control of HHS and the refugee program to the um, homeland security so that it's still an immigration issue and not, you know, some kind of refugee issue. Uh, making those uh, making those guys, uh, you know, be classified as uh, migrants keeps the legal status in a way that the federal government can't force them on Tennessee. Um, the other issue is we're, with this bill is we're addressing the preferential treatment to certain countries in Central America that get um, automatic refugee status. And, and so we're trying to, to fix that as well. And then, of course, to take care of the children, we're leaving their ability to be housed with HHS because DHS, the Department of Homeland Security, the actual law enforcement folks don't have the resources to house these children. So if we leave that portion in law and then change their status, we can address the immigration issue, but still take care of the children. And so that's that's kind of what the bill does. So it's interesting you mentioned something that was kind of a mystery to me. I never understood exactly why the Office of Refugee Resettlement was involved in moving these kids here. Were they trying to just flaunt the law or were using a loophole in the law uh, by bringing them in under the Office of Refugee Resettlement? So I... Uh, my phone kind of blinked out there. Uh, I, I didn't catch that. Well, let me, let me, yeah, it, it's one of these issues that the, it's a little bit in the weeds, but it struck me as interesting. So it seems to me that the, the, this movement of these mi- migrant kids has been supervised by the Office of Refugee Resettlement, is my understanding. And I always wondered, well, how could they do that? Because these are illegal aliens. They're not, they're not coming in through the refugee program. Yeah, so that doesn't make sense in the law, and it's very interesting. We approached multiple people, former immigration judges. We we approached, you know, the folks here in D.C. who write the bills uh, for us. They're they're you know, our lawyers on our side that are Republican that think the way we think, and no one seemed to be able to agree on the status of these children, whether they could technically be refugees or not. And so we want to clarify that ambiguity by making sure that the unaccompanied children are, in fact, unaccompanied migrants, and um, and they they can't therefore, um, you know, be treated as a refugee because once they're treated as a refugee, the state basically either have to get out of the refugee program completely, which Governor Lee chose not to do, or they can't. We don't have a say at that point. Yeah, exactly. So, By the way, this was a very good catch on your part. I'm delighted you've done it because you, you're kind of solving a bit of this mystery because, you know, there is an act called the Refugee Act of 1980 that governs yeah. refugees, right? That's that's exactly correct. Um, 
so, you know, you can't, with Tennessee in the program, we can't basically block refugees being resettled in Tennessee as long as the state's in the program. Um, because of court rulings and the way the court rulings, you know, found on those original refugee laws. So that's why these children, I'm trying to classify them as unaccompanied migrants. And therefore, when they, they get into that status, it's a law enforcement, it's a migration issue and not a refugee issue, which is essentially what, what they truth, truthfully are. Um, so that's, that's the dilemma we're fixing. And I think the build, we've had it vetted by tons of different people. And I will tell you, uh, Michael, the, the, the folks, people in Tennessee who are smart on this came to us. We shared the bill. They are the ones who provided this, uh, the idea on this. So this is constituents informing their congressmen and educating me on some of the nuances of this that resulted in a much better bill. Well, what what's going to happen with this bill when you introduce it? So, <clears throat> you know, what we've got to do is find four or five Democrats who are willing to, uh, you know, buck Pelosi, which in this day and age is hard to find. Um, you know, it makes... Uh, it makes it makes it hard for us to get anything done. Do we need to um, give you Alexandria Ocasio Cortez's phone number? Do you think she'd be one of the four or five? <laughs> no, joke. I don't want that on my phone. Um, <laughs> That's a bad joke on my part. <laughs> no, I mean, I, she's the wrong one to go to, but there are a couple out there that are trying to save their seat in what's going to happen in the next cycle. Will it be a member of Congress, a Democratic member of Congress from a border state, do you think? There are a couple, actually, that are pushing for you know Kamala Harris to come down there. Um, so we might be able to get you know those guys to say, hey, yeah, let's do it. But it could also be somebody from a state like, I don't know, Tennessee. You know, Do you think Jim Cooper is going to jump in and say, oh, yeah, we don't want these uh, illegal aliens uh, shipped in here in the dark of night? Or Steve Cohen, your good friends? It's hard to read where Jim's going to be on this one because of just the dynamics of what's happening to his district. So I think it's, it'll be a little bit hard to predict where Jim will be. I mean, we could sit down and talk with him about it, but, um, you know, I, I, I would have to do that to find Boy, out. Boy, I, like, I would like to be a fly on the wall if, when you have that conversation with Jim Cooper. Yeah, we've had several about <laughs> <his> <laughs> Well, Representative Mark Green, it is always a delight to have you on this program and really please do come in studio for a, a longer discussion it'll be great we're delighted to have yeah. you on we'd love to thank Th you thanks so much for joining us that's representative mark green a great new bill and i think i i hope it passes it could solve a problem here in tennessee um so that is uh, uh up next i'm delighted roger simon will be in this morning roger will be in from seven to eight the editor-at-large of Epic Times, also my former boss at PG, PJTV, and one of the great novelists of America today. In my view, we'll be back after this. This is the Tennessee Star Report. I'm Michael Patrick Leahy.